Hi, everyone, and welcome to AB Conversations, where we will help you CFP your way out of it, a podcast where you get into the minds of a couple certified financial planners on how we think and feel about everyday financial planning questions and what should really matter most to you. A healthier financial life starts now. And we're back. How are we doing today? Doing good. How, how about you? I like a six out of ten. Like six out of ten. Like I, I admitted to you earlier today. Like I'm <laughs> like sleep is definitely feeling like it's at a premium right now. Mm. So like mm-hmm. with that as kind of the 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 you know the baseline, I feel like if I had gotten a good night's sleep, I'm in a good mood. Maybe I'd be like a seven or eight, but like six. Wow. Six for ten. Uh, yeah. So for the <laughs> for those listening, uh, if you don't hear that part then we clearly cut it out because we're just not good or, or this podcast ends up being unusable. But let's assume it's all going to work out great. And you're by the end of it, Ben, you're, um, we're going to make sure you go from like a six to at least an eight. Yeah, nothing, nothing gets me uh, more energized <laughs> than my conversations with you around trusts. So let's just let's do it. Wow. Yeah. So pivot into the, the topic. Um, today, we're going to talk about trusts. And I think more specifically through the lens of a lot of recent client conversations, right? We, we, we live primarily in the, the pre-retiree or the retiree space. So working with older individuals that are, are seeing their own parents, right? They're, they're inheriting money. The parents are passing away and they're seeing, okay, well, mom and dad had a trust. Do I need a trust? Should I be doing these things? Um, so I think just kind of sorting through what even is that? What is a trust? What does it do? And what are the situations where it, it may apply and where it may not? Yeah. And I think uh, I'll, I'll just add to that. I think we're at least seeing in our little small sphere here, like there has been a change. Um, and maybe it's a little bit generational where prior, maybe people just, they never really talked about their finances. It was a very private thing. Like we're hearing like, friends are talking about these things yeah, now they're sharing yeah. strategies and ideas and things they're reading or things they're hearing so it's a lot more common for us to hear the starting sentence hey i was talking to my friend and like they're exploring yeah. this or they have a trust like should i like is that something i should be doing so if you want yeah. the nitty-gritty on like how we think and feel about trusts episode episode 21 mm-hmm. i'll throw that out there we did go through mm-hmm. some of the nuts and bolts and uh but i yeah i like the idea today and i'll toss it back to you like what are those situations that we're hearing or what are those questions that we're hearing? And then we'll do our best to just answer. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's worth exploring in that situation or maybe it's not. Yeah. So there's, we, so then we won't necessarily get into the, the nitty gritty on like what are trusts, how do they work, that kind of thing. But there are many different types. They're all slightly different. So again, episode 21, as you said, maybe have some of those details, but we can always talk through those individually too. But what I wanted to say here to start and I'm thinking back to the podcast we recently recorded on life insurance, right? For God's sake, get insurance. I think with trusts, it used to be extremely common for people to be, and I'll use air quotes, sold a living trust. Mm-hmm. That was like, a maybe not necessarily a door to door, but that was certainly kind of where things started. Like insurance, it was, it was something that was being sold yeah. to a lot of people, ended up with them. And maybe, maybe the, the, the clients that we're kind of talking to or the prospects that we're talking to that say, well, mom and dad had this, it, yes, they may have, but they may have been sold that by 
whoever, an attorney, somebody who wanted to sell a document, um, and maybe it wasn't even appropriate for them at that point, don't know, doesn't matter, but it was just one of the thoughts that came into mind that it's very possible that like many things in the past, with it being sold to somebody and not somebody actually seeking it out, um, it, it may be more prevalent in right. the past than maybe it is moving forward for, for the more common uh, situations that we may see here moving forward. Well, may, may, maybe let's just share <laughs> like quickly on why that was and why that is. Um, and this, this just goes back to timing of things. And I know we have a couple mm -hmm. notes on this. Like if a trust is really just an entity, I want people to think about this as a, as a box that can hold something. Think about one of the reasons why they would have been more prevalent and why they may have been sold or, or talked about as a strategy was really just based on taxes. We can go back just 20 years. Maybe that sounds like a long period of time, um, but it's really probably not. And you were only allowed to pass away with a million dollars before any dollar above and beyond that in your estate was going to be taxed by the federal government. Right. Well, that law has changed several times since then, but it's all the way up at close to 13 million per person today, nearly yeah. 26 million for married couple. So yeah. the whole idea of, you know, I need to put this money into a trust so that the government doesn't tax it. That's not where we are today. Right. Right. And that's it. For most uh, people. I should right. clarify. <laughs> of for, course, of course. For the use yeah. and means of the world. Yeah, you, you think back 20 years, and I'm one of those where you go, oh, well, 20 years ago, that was, you know, 1990, 19, no, it was 2003 was 20 years <laughs> ago, by the way. Modern era. Um, yeah, the, the, the state exemption was $1 million. And while, again, a million dollars is a lot of money, it's not hard even thinking back 20 years, you add up some investment accounts, you add up retirement house. accounts, you add up, yeah, house, any, any other properties, you could quickly get above that. So yeah, that, that certainly could have played more of a role then. Now that that estate exemption is 13 million or 26 million for a couple, not, it doesn't seem as critical. The one caveat there being the current exemptions being as high as they are, are set to sunset starting in 2026, meaning they were temporary increases as part of some tax changes that happened over the last few right. years. We don't know what's going to happen. So there's a, there's a chance that that continues on, that con Congress will pass and kick that can down the road. Or maybe there is some reduction. As of right now, if, if nothing happens, it's going to revert back to, I think, like five or five and a half million per person, which is still clearly much higher than the one million. Um, and I don't think necessarily changes the calculus, but it's just another thing to throw out there that, that these rules, like anything else the IRS touches, is constantly changing. Yeah, and let's just take this one step further and it's going to tie into another point that I know we wanted to make. And maybe I'm not making it at the right time, but you know, to, <laughs> to truly avoid that, right, just to say I'm going to create a trust because you know, maybe my estate is more than five and a half million and I want to get um, you know, ahead of that curve. Mm-hmm. There are certain assets when we talk about like uh, just creating a trust isn't necessarily to be all end all. You have to fund that trust. You have to essentially right. retitle certain assets. And I want to be clear that, you know, maybe outside of a home, a lot of the people that we work with, how did they build their wealth? They, they built it saving into a retirement account. And right. to put that into a trust to say, all right, I'm going to forego this as an asset of mine and therefore put it into a trust. You're changing the ownership on that. Right. That's as if you took all that money out of that retirement account, 
by the way, probably had to pay income taxes mm-hmm. just to mm-hmm. now put it into a trust and therefore have it out of your estate to maybe try to avoid that taxation. So right. it's, it's important for us to discuss what assets really are we looking to put into a trust or have titled um, as now trust yeah. assets. Yeah, and this is absolutely one of those circumstances where you know what the one size fits all or just the blanket comment I can, I can do all these things within a trust and I'm just going to put everything in there. It really does depend on the situation. What type of investments do you have? What type of accounts do you have? What makes sense to actually put in the trust? Um, so then thinking about the retirement accounts, if it doesn't, if it's not, um, you know, retitling the account or essentially taking a, taking all that money out of an IRA, for example, paying the taxes and now great, it's in the trust, but what maybe that didn't necessarily accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. Sometimes the solution is, well, then just name, name your, name your trust as the beneficiary of your IRA. That's kind of a way to to maybe get the best of both worlds. However, even with that, there are caveats, there are special circumstances where it still may not accomplish what you want to accomplish. In our experience, when you are naming a beneficiary of a retirement account, more often than not, unless there are very special situations that warrant it, it makes sense to try to name an actual human, an actual yeah. person as that beneficiary, because there are very different rules for retirement accounts than there are with any other type of investment or property uh, when it comes to the taxation side of things. So, so there's a way to maybe use a trust with an IRA, but even then it's, it's still, it's can still have some, some moving pieces that you want to be aware of in your situation. Yeah. So I think it still just goes back to like purpose and intent, yeah. right? So if taxes may have been the focus or intent 20 years ago. And we would say it's going to be far less the case right now, just based on those exclusions, then mm-hmm. we'd have to think about what is the purpose of a trust. And I would say that goes into the situations where people are asking more about, I want to maintain control, or I maybe right. want to protect somebody else from this money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that's where when we get those types of questions, and maybe you want to go through one of those scenarios with me or something like that. Yeah, um, sure. that that's where we may our ears may perk up a little bit more to go. Yeah, then let's let's consider the pros and cons of this control. Right. Yeah. So con- control being, I think, well, maybe may the number one reason um, at this point to use a trust is because you can essentially dictate a lot of the what ifs mm. in the future. Like today, you can make a lot of those decisions while you're living that once you pass, if someone just inherits an account or inherits your money and it's, it's theirs and it's in their name, they are free to do whatever they would like with that money. In a trust, you can list very specific instructions. You can, you can restrict when people have access to money. You can restrict what they use it for. Um, if you have minor children, then certainly you would want to have provisions built in where, you know, Someone turns 18, legally they're an adult, but I have an 18-year-old. I wouldn't trust her to inherit a large sum of money and actually be responsible with that. I wouldn't have been responsible at 18. I know that for certain. So there are, there are, there are ways to build in those stipulations to still have control when you're not around. And I think you said right. it. Som- sometimes that is protecting somebody from maybe using it inappropriately or just, you know, being tempted, uh, tempted to just spend it. Um, minor children is one of those things. If there are special needs, 
there are very, very specific rules that if they are receiving government benefits, if they inherited money, that may disqualify them for those benefits. So there are very specific trusts that can be built um, to avoid kind of those unintended consequences um, in that situation. Yeah, I think you said that so well. So that my takeaway there is, and I had this conversation with, with somebody just, it was probably just a week or two ago, you know, with this whole idea, should I do this? I want to do this because I think it'll, I'm, I'm hearing it'll make my estate easier to settle. Well, sure. my comment back to her was, yeah, yeah, but I know what you shared about your children, you know, and, and they are adults and responsible and, and, and going to be very good about this stuff. In some cases, the legalese and, and the everything that would need to be put in place for that trust really wouldn't be serving the, the purpose of protecting the children from something because mm -hmm. that's not who they are. They're fiscally responsible. They're adults. They're, yeah. they're ready to inherit this. Um, so I, I think if the need for control isn't there, um, then again, what's the purpose of a, of a trust in that, that case? It? Oh. It's a rhetorical question. Yeah, like, I was going to say, is that an actual question? You don't need it. You, in that right. case, you didn't need it. Um, yeah. I will share, you know, the other thought I have on control, and I think we're seeing a lot more of, of this, it's, it's just blended families. Yep. Right. So it's very hard with those beneficiary designations on an account, right, to say, all right, I want to leave this to my spouse. But then mm -hmm. once that becomes my spouse's, they're going to put their own beneficiary designation on that account. And what you want doesn't matter anymore. You're not here. Right. right. So that's maybe where a trust would say, I want these assets to go into trust. I want it to care for my spouse for as long as they're living. But mm -hmm. when, that, when they pass away, I've already dictated that money's coming back to say my two children instead of his or her two children. Right. Yeah. That, that one, that is, I think that is going to be the more common scenario moving forward just in the world that we live in um, to essentially protect and provide for those that you want to provide for with, again, kind of building in those, those what if scenarios and avoiding those unintended consequences where in the past, if you didn't do that, you could theoretically disinherit your own children yeah. in that situation, which more often than not is not the intended, the intended outcome. So I was going to say one, one of the other reasons I think people gravitate towards trust is the privacy aspect. And I don't know, I think everyone has their own kind of feelings on that side of things, the privacy. And in my mind, it really depends on the situation, but sometimes it, it may just not be worth it, right? Because there are, there are hurdles, there are costs that go along with establishing a trust, changing ownership, all of those things. Or maybe it's not worth it, but there is a distinct difference between if you didn't have a trust and you passed away and, and assets flowed through your will, that is a probatable process. So it's right. going to go through that very public process. Um, you know, anyone can contest, contest a will. They can, they can view that. That is public record where a trust does not go through that process. The trust is its own entity. As you said earlier, you dictate all of these different parameters and it all stays encapsulated within that trust. You have to name a trustee once you're gone, someone who's going to actually take care of the financial side of things and help administer those yep. rules. But it does, it does keep it out of the, the public record. It does keep things private. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And as you're saying that, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to the last point that I would have wanted to make, like the ease of management 
Mm. Um, you know, I, I know we do have a situation where somebody had accumulated a, a good deal of wealth, but did so really in the way that I think investment management used to work. You used to go to this company and then this company and then this company, and you had mutual funds held with each company. And all of a sudden you've got 12 different accounts that mm -hmm. are all now, right? The move was, well, let's put them all into a revocable trust. And that way, when I want to change potentially beneficiaries in my will on who's going to inherit this, mm -hmm. I only need to make one update in my trust document instead of going to 12 different firms right. and having to update a beneficiary designation. That's just ease of financial management. Um, and I don't know that that's as common anymore today either. Sure. Can we accumulate yeah. wealth in different ways? Uh, brokerage accounts and you know custodians are now a thing. You know that's how mm -hmm. we operate. Um, but I, I think that's maybe one of those other questions. You know, if somebody comes to us and says, "I just really I want to get everything in order for my kids," you know, I want it to be easy to settle my estate. Should I have a trust? We probably talk about the other ways that you kind of make it easy on them. Right. Um, the trust may not be the solution to that. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think. Um, there, there certainly are other alternatives or there's other ways to try to simplify without adding maybe some complexity to your situation by having a trust. But again, I think, I think it all comes down to the situation. Part of it is preference in thinking of like the privacy aspect. Some people that may have a much higher weight on, um, than others. So yeah, I think, I think it really does become situational, but you know, that's, that's something we can certainly talk through if, if you have questions or there's just, you're just not sure is a trust for me. And let's, let's explore that. What about real estate? What about it? <laughs> well, when we're so, thinking about yeah. assets that may, you know, sometimes we get that question. Um, I think we had it this morning. Like, do you, do we take, do we take this home out of our ownership and put it into some sort of trust so that it's not a, asset that maybe can be clawed away with long-term right. care or anything else like that. Yeah. So there, I think again, uh, there, there again, I think, I think it comes down to the intent. What is the purpose? If there is a chance that it's a, well, we we see it a lot here with like family, family land, right. Farmland that people want to keep in the family. Um, specifically, we've had a, a recent conversation where, I want this piece of property to stay in the family, but I, but I don't want it to be the burden of, you know, my children for the upkeep and all the maintenance and all the expense that come along with that. So there it may make sense to have a trust, have other funding in the trust that can essentially self-fund all of that stuff. And it doesn't put it on the heirs, especially when there are multiple family members that may or may not see eye to eye. It kind of takes that potential friction out of, yeah, out of, out of the equation. That's, that is, that is another area I will share too. Um, if there are second properties and maybe more specifically, if you own property out of state, in addition to wherever you live, there are specific rules when it comes to probating your will. Meaning if you own separate properties, different States, and you don't have a trust, Oftentimes, there is a secondary process that you have to go through in that other state to essentially settle somebody's estate. If it's in a trust, you can bypass that. So again, it doesn't necessarily fit everybody's situation, but that could make the case for a trust a little bit uh, more, I don't want to say urgent, but it's more, it could be more fitting um, depending on the situation. What do you think about real estate, Ben? Uh, 
I'm, I'm just going to say you did a really good job with that. <laughs> yeah, because I think that is, that is, <laughs> it is. Uh, but I, I do think that is way more situational. So like, yeah, pro property being situational, ease of management was one of them controls probably the biggest. Mm -hmm. And then again, they're there, I believe are more far and few between where taxes really come into play. Right. Um, but those are really the, the four things we would look at. We're not going to talk about charitable trust today. Maybe that needs to be a different podcast. Not sure if we ever did it. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think we hit on a lot of the different questions that we get. And maybe we answered some of the misconceptions on like when a, when a trust should be in play. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a one, not a one size fits all right. type of idea for sure. But final disclaimer, we are not estate planning attorneys, of course. <laughs> right. um, but yeah. If you have questions on this type of stuff, um, I think when you're making big estate decisions like this, it's important to think about how that matches up financially with your own life, your own needs. And then of course, try to find the efficiencies and uh, teamwork with an estate attorney. Yep, yep, perfectly said. Thanks for all your help today. All right, likewise, see ya. Hey everyone, Adam and I really appreciate you tuning in. Please note that the opinions we voiced in the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be most appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, your accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to making any decisions or investing. Thanks for listening.